So um, the reading we're going to hear more about in a moment is um, Mark 6, 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Thanks be to God. I'd like to welcome our speaker this morning, um, Martin Higgins. He's the pastor of Chase Family Bible Church, a man of the word and the spirit, so no pressure. pressure. (laughs) There you go. Is that coming up? Oh, that seems to be coming up. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I always love prayer. Father, thank you for your manservant, Martin. Thank you for his obedience, Mm. uh, his willingness to come and speak your word. Would you anoint him this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit? That's right. That he will speak your word as your oracle this morning. Yeah. That chains be broken. Yes. That captives be set free. Lord, let direction come to the confused. Let peace be restored this morning to the troubled hearts. Mm. Above all, let instruction and direction come, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've done it again. I've left my Bible in the bag. I spoke somewhere else recently, just as I went to speak. I left my Bible in the bag. Can't do that, can you? Well, look, it's lovely to be here. My name's Martin Higgins, and uh, I'm married to Liz. My wife is with me. Got four kids and two grandkids and lead a busy life, as we all do. 
But do you know, um, Liz and I came here, well, well, we were here 40 years ago. Um, in fact, Liz's friend and Liz were in the Sunday school here, uh, her friend Ruth. Um, so they've been here a long time. And then we have Agnes who's here, Agnes Knight, and her husband was an elder here, Bernard Knight. So we got a, it's a real special day for us to come back here, well certainly for Liz and I, for over 40 years ago. When we used to come and the chapel was that way, and you had those wooden chairs, do you remember them? You could barely sit on them, they were so narrow, crushed in. How we got about 120 in this room, I have no idea. Um, but isn't it God good to us? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something else. Your pastor, uh, Mike, who's just retired, he and I have known each other for many years. We used to go to the free church in Enfield. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, God moved us on in the spirit, and I used to encourage Mike to come on, and eventually he came to chase him and Paul for a little while, for a few weeks. But I, I said to him, look, uh, you need to go to St. Barnabas. That's where you need to go. And just shortly after that, he did. But I have got, you see, I used to run a charity called Christians in Business. And uh, Mike, as you many will know, used to do a market trader. And I've got video footage to prove it of him in Leather Lane and down in Walthamstow. And, um, and maybe afterwards, if you want to ask me some questions, I can tell you because I don't think I want to say in public some of the things that Mike used to get up to. But he was great, a real character. He used to take video of him without him knowing. Um, so it's, the only downside for Mike is he, he supports the wrong team. But there we go. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much a blue and white man. So there, there we have it. So... Oh, thank you. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not on my own. <laughs> so we're going to look at uh, the feeding of the 5,000 today. And have you ever thought, why do we have two different miracles about food and uh, feeding loads of people? You know, there's the feeding of the 5,000, and then a few chapters on, we have the 4,000. The feeding of the multitudes was clearly important uh, to the gospel writers, because apart from the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is in, actually in every gospel. So it has an important part to play. However, it's important to note that both Matthew and Mark record two different feedings of the multitude. Uh, the feeding of the first to 5,000 people, and then subsequently the 4,000. But why did Matthew and Mark include two miracles of the same kind? I mean, after all, uh, Jesus had already fed the 5,000. Um, what's what is really added to the gospel story if you do a second one about a smaller group of people? Seems odd. Wouldn't it have been better to use the ink and the parchment paper to tell about another miracle? Well, the answer is location, location, location. You see, if we have a... Take my feature of the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee, just for the sake of it. At the top is where the feeding of the 5,000 was. And that was at Bethesda, close to the Sea of Galilee, close to the top. And in contrast to that, the 4,000 took place in the region of Gerezanus, which is a region around Decapolis, which is at the bottom of the lake. So we've got at the top, Bethesda, and Decapolis at the bottom. Well, okay, so there are two miracles took place in different regions. So what? 
It's important because the first region was the Jewish community, the 5,000 at the top. And the second region is the Gentile community, just outside the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there are a number of uh, numeric clues in the text which also point to the distinctions. And let's, say, let's be honest, numbers in the Bible are rarely accidental. In fact, I'd go as far as to say numbers are very important in the Bible. You see, in this miracle, Jesus takes five loaves and feeds 5,000, which is reminiscent of the first five books of the Jewish law, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, and so on. But not only that, when everyone had finished eating, there were 12 baskets left over and were collected. And this was probably alluding to the 12 tribes of Israel, but certainly to the 12 disciples. And in the second miracle, we see seven loaves are used and seven baskets are collected. And the number seven is symbolic of completeness. And it's not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too. And the number seven, again, is reminiscent of the seven days of creation when God created all humanity. So, what is the significance of the two feedings of the multitude? Well, it's simply this. Both miracles show the provision of the Lord, his love for his people, both Jew and Gentile. There's no eliteness in that. God loves us all. And Jesus will later claim in John 6, I am the bread of life. And in these miracles, Jesus feeds them with miraculous bread in preparation for the day when he would have his own body broken like bread upon the cross, offering spiritual and eternal nourishment to all who would call upon his name and place their faith and their trust in him. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we are many, sorry, who, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. Now, just before we move on, I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about the baskets. Now, baskets in the Old Testament, there are four kinds of baskets, and under the Hebrew names, and I don't speak Hebrew, so they're just going to come out as they've written down here. So if you speak Hebrew, you can tell me afterwards. But it says, Duda, Tene, Kal, and Kelebah. There's very little, however, in these names um, or in the narratives where they are found to have any, any indication of the definitively um, of the difference of the size and the shape. Um, all we know is they're made of various things like willow, rush, and palm leaves. They were used for various purposes, um, domestic and agricultural, um, for instance, and in gathering, serving, and serving fruit, and then collecting arms in kind for the poor. They, some had handles, some had lids, some didn't, some did. It's, it's sort of a real makeup. However, we get to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, interesting, it centers on two kinds of basket, distinguished by the evangelists in their accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 and of the 4,000. And in Greek, it's called kofinos or spurus. If there are Greek here, 
I ask your forgiveness because I'm sure that's probably not how to pronounce it. But again, you can tell me afterwards. So the coffinus is a hand basket. And we see in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9 and John 6, which was provided with a a cord for a handle um, by means of which you could carry it on your back primarily or you could have it like a almost a shoulder bag, I guess. And the Jews carried this bag wherever they went, and so the disciples did also. And there's a measuring element called the bosiang, which measures about two gallons. And so that would be the size of this basket, probably like a rucksack, all right? However, the feeding of the 4,000 was the spuris, or the spuris, and that's a large basket and, we, basket. and we see in Matthew 15 and Mark 8, the basket was large enough to hold a person, such as the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, where he's dropped down over the wall, if you remember. So it's got to be a fairly big basket. And it was considerably larger than the coffinus and quite different in shape and use. Probably like a large hamper, a very large hamper. So, there we have two distinctions, whether you knew that, but that's the different types of baskets on both the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Now, some theologians, oh, excuse me, have thought that the 5,000 and the 4,000 are the same event, but Jesus Christ himself viewed them as different incidents. And Matthew 16 Verse 9 to 10 is perhaps the most compelling piece of evidence to prove that the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are two separate historical events, as opposed to one historical event coming at it from two angles. It says this, Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves and the 5,000, and how many baskets, the coffinos, you took up, Neither the seven loaves or the 4,000, and how many baskets the spurus you took up. So here we have it clearly that they are two definitive things, and their purposes we now know, one to reach the Jews and one to reach the Gentiles. And there's very reference for certain references to uh, the numbers, particularly in 12, as we know, to the disciples, and seven of the number of completion. So I have some questions for us to reflect on. You see, Jesus' disciples were focused on the problem, how to feed so many, rather than focusing on God. When we're confronted with unsolvable situations, do we remember this? I saw this on the wall today. I thought, yeah, come on, you know? For with God, nothing is impossible. What a great scripture to have. I saw that this morning. I thought, yes, it comes up today. That's just good news. Well, you see, Philip and Andrew, it seemed, they seem to have forgotten all the miracles that um, Jesus did and performed. And when we face difficulties, when we face crisis, the question is, do we recall how God has helped us in the past? You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I will say, oh, we're going to do that. We're never going to be able to do this. We're never going to do that. And Liz will remind me and say, but look, he got us through this. If he can get us through that, then he can get us through that. That's why we need the body of Christ to encourage one another. 
When you're down, this is the place you want to be. Come to your brothers and sisters and share, share with one another. Encourage one another. You know, I don't know what's going on in your life, but it's lovely to see that God providing the body of Christ coming around you, the family of God, to pray and intercede. That's the family of God. That's how it should be. One of the themes is that Jesus is the good shepherd, isn't it? The compassion of Jesus is a strong theme in this story. Jesus cared for the multitudes who were there. They were, it says that we read it in the scripture, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was tired and his disciples were too, but his compassion for their needs was greater than his exhaustion. Jesus is the true good shepherd of God. Do you ever feel like you're a sheep without a shepherd? Right now, you're in a transition as a church, aren't you? Hello, hello. One's gone, the other one's coming. You know, what do we do? I remember being in a Baptist church years ago, and they were, um, we were waiting for another um, pastor to come along. And uh, I remember my mum and dad were really encouraged because it was bringing people together. They were reaching out for one another, praying for one another more than they normally did. And I think when the new pastor came, he didn't realise, he thought, wow, this church is on fire because they learned to speak to God directly. You know, sometimes we put so much pressure on the leader of the church. I can tell you as a leader of church, some of the requests I get, I think, I actually say to people, have you actually prayed and talked to God? <laughs> you know, why, why do you want me to do it? I'm happy to do it, but have you done it? Well, um, you know, um, I thought if I ask you. Come on, you're in a relationship with God. Relationship with God. Another theme, the promised Messiah. Providing bread for Israel in the wilderness is reminiscent of God's supernatural feeding of the Israelites with manna in the wilderness in the days of Moses. And Jewish tradition has, had, has come to expect the Messiah to repeat this miracle of provision. So here we see it. We see Jesus was revealing himself as the spiritual redeemer of Israel and all, all who would accept him. Do you get that? Another theme, the gracious provider. Jesus recognizes his people's need for food. He set about teaching his disciples an important lesson. And in the household of faith, God is a constant and abundant provider of all our needs. Only he can satisfy true hunger. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the people were a loss, as lost as the ancestors who wandered in the desert during the exodus. And God provided manna for all of them, as you can remember. But Jesus was superior to Moses because he not only provided physical food, but also spiritual food. And as the bread of life, and the 12 baskets that are left over symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, yes. But they also tell us that God is not only a generous provider, but that he has unlimited resources, which is a pretty good call, isn't it? So, we have four lessons from uh, Jesus in feeding the 5,000. You know, this story is one of the most inspiring stories in the Bible and is often used to encourage us um, to believe in God's great power, to believe in God's mercy. 
So, okay, what does this miracle then tell us? Let's dig a little bit deeper. Well, firstly, I want to talk about Jesus' compassion. Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 reminds us of Jesus' compassion for his people. We see this in the first part of the passage when it's mentioned that Jesus was traveling and healing the sick at the same time. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> the disciples wanted the crowd to go away uh, because it was getting dark, they're probably getting tired, there's probably all sorts of things. But then Jesus said to them, let the people remain and instead give them some food. Well, the character of Jesus is exhibited in this part of the passage. His compassion is without bounds. That even if he had travelled all this long distance, he'd healed the sick and done so many other things, his priority was still the crowd. And this scenario of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people supports the fact that Jesus is the Lord that saves his church. His compassion is so boundless that he gave his life for his children. Isn't it? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I don't know where you are today, but one of the advantages of being a visiting speaker is that if I get it wrong, I'll never be asked back. All right, but you may have been coming here. Um, you know, one gentleman said he's been coming here for 18 years. All right, but you know, I've been and visited churches where people have been going for years, and they have the head knowledge of knowing Jesus, but they don't have the heart. They don't have the relationship. Someone just said, you know, about talking to God and and knowing that He talks back. That's relationship through His Word by His Spirit. And if you don't know Jesus today, maybe you only know him by the head knowledge and you want to know him by the power of his spirit, then I would love to pray with you. If you've never known Jesus as your saviour, then I've got some booklets on why Jesus. And maybe someone who you've come with today, you know, talk with them about it. The amazing thing is, it, it, is that Jesus will meet you where you are by the power of his spirit. And you'll find out that when Jesus went to the cross, He died and rose again to save your life and my life. As man wants to go his own way, that's the trouble. That's what sin is. We want to do our own thing. But God wants to bring salvation to you today. Another lesson we can learn from Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus uses other people to bless other people. Have you ever found that? When God wants to bless one person, he blesses as many people along the way as possible. Isn't that, that's so amazing. So, so amazing. So here we see it. Um, An example of this is Jesus asked his disciples to find food. And they found a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And in this very moment... Jesus decides to use the boy for his miracle and turn the five loaves of bread and the two fish into something that the crowd could eat and be enriched by. So here is this young lad with five loaves of barley, uh, barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? You see, this scenario teaches us two things about Jesus. First is that he uses others. 
his disciples in this case, to be the hands of, in providing blessing for others. He asked them to find food, which they did by finding a boy. And the second one is that Jesus used his children to help others. He encourages a simple boy to help a crowd of 5,000 through to with his five loaves of bread and fish. Now we can just imagine the amazement on this boy's face when he hands over, you know, just a little pocket of five bread, loaves of bread and two fish. And it feeds 5,000. Well, let's just, hang on just a minute, let's just stop there. It says 5,000 men. So including women and children and others, we're talking probably around 20,000 people. You know, in a good ground like Spurs, that's about a third of the uh, congregation, shall we say. All right. Um, but, you know, just get a handle on that. 20,000 people. This boy hands over that, sees the bread, and stands back, and wow. I, I don't think we can really get a hold of this. If that happened today, someone would say it's a trick. Something amazing happened. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, that fed 20,000 people from five loaves and two fish. I think that's pretty amazing. Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, we've heard the story so many times, it becomes nullified in our minds. But this is amazing stuff. By Jesus using the disciples and the boy to bless others, we are reminded that God uses us to bless others. And there are many times when we're asked by God to help others who are in need. And this is similar to the very scenario that happened during the feeding of the 5,000. So when God asks us to bless others, we must have faith. And to do even just a simple amount or an act can have a huge impact on so many. About 18 months ago, um, probably a bit longer than that now, um, I'd been praying and saying, Lord, what can we do for the poor and the needy? We've got to be able to do something in our church for this. And a lady at church, her daughter, was going to the school gate and dropping her children off, and she saw this lady in tears. So she went over and talked to her. She had no money and no food. So Maria went and bought her some food. Then she went and investigated in the school and found out there were other families like this. Now, let's just stop for a moment. What we're talking about, people here who've been to food bank, and if you know anything about food bank, it lasts for about three weeks and then it drops off. All right? And these people needed some consistency in their life. So trying to cut a long story short, we were providing at one time around about 30 families. And, you know, it's, it's not it's an expensive job and everything. But we'd trusted the Lord had opened the door. And suddenly people in the church, retired folks, saying, I'm happy to come and help. I'm happy to deliver the boxes. I'm, another one would be happy to look after getting some money together. We, suddenly we had companies that were interested in giving us money to support this work. All right? And I prayed specifically that it wouldn't just go through the schools, that we get the opportunity to pray for these people or meet them on the door. Well, guess what we did? There isn't a single box that would get in unless we took it. And it's, it's sort of shrunk down the whole process now. But let me tell you, these lovely folks in the church, they would go there. They'd start talking to these people. Suddenly, 
I remember one lady said, my son's got an operation, could you pray? So the church prayed. The doctor said, look, this should take about eight weeks to be healed. He's healed in two weeks. He said, yes, Jesus does this. Another lady said to me, um, can I come to church? I said, uh, oh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she, I don't know what she thought she had to do, but you know, she just loved it. And, and then more recently... Uh, one lady who's got four children, single parent, she's managed to get some work. And she said to us, please take me off your list because there are other people who are worse off than me. She's still on the breadline. I don't know how she's making it. But we've uh, put her in touch with a church that's more local to help. But look how many people were blessed along the way in being involved in this. All right? And that's what God's teaching us here. The disciples, look, They've got to go and find some bread from 20,000 people. <laughs> come on, where are they going to go for that? Anybody got any bread? Any fish? Anything going? And they come back with this one guy, one boy. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just awesome. Another lesson that we can learn from feeding the 5,000 is that Jesus is big enough for any of our expectations. Here he surpassed expectation. He is the ultimate. This means that Jesus provides every need and exceeds. We're reminded about this in John 1 verse 3 where it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Pretty definitive words. But in his, his feeding of the 5,000, we see an example of how powerful Jesus is. He merely commands the food to be fed, and as a result, the 5,000 men or 20,000 people were fed. He just, at his word, his command. And lastly, nothing we face here on earth is too big for God. Nothing. And another, it's another lesson that we can learn from this miracle, is that there is no great obstacle that we cannot face because we have God. God is always larger than anything, especially our obstacles. And that's why we shouldn't be anxious. In Matthew 6, 25 to 27, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is a gentle reminder to our daily Christian life that nothing we face here on earth is too big for God. You see, Jesus is big enough for any of our expectations. He uses other people to bless others. And ultimately, it shows Jesus' compassion for his people. And through this miracle, we are reassured that Jesus' love is for us. So, Christians, we must trust God. That he will provide for our needs and amplify our offerings to bless others. 
We know that God is larger than we can, sorry, larger than we can imagine, and He delights in providing for our blessing, uh, for blessing His children. And it says that in Psalm 23. So, what are you asking God for today? You see, God wants to bless you, but are you reaching out in faith? I, I once had a mentor who's a really godly man, and we were at a, I used to run a business, and uh, I remember being February, and he prophetically said to me, in October, everything will be fine, but God wants you to live as if it's October now. You know when someone gives you one of those words, and it goes, boom, right there, and you go, I've got it. And I thought, oh no, so I've got to live like nothing's wrong. And that's what I had to do for seven or eight months with all my staff and everybody, was to live as if everything was going fine. And it's almost like you're trying to deny, be in denial. But it wasn't because God had told me that in October it would come right. And in October, guess what? It came absolutely right. And as a result of that, we can see God's blessing, Liz and I, on how... Because it's not easy when God says something like that. All right? He can provide all your... Look, God is good. All right? That's the thing. And he can supply all your riches, all your needs, according to his riches in glory. Well, his riches in glory are infinite. So all his provision is there. And whatever you are going through at this moment, you can call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes he doesn't give you the answer that you want, but be patient. You know, it's, it, he, there's three answers, really. There's yes, no, and wait. <laughs> and sometimes waits, it can get a little frustrating, can't it? Now, I, um, in my prayer time this morning, I had a couple of things I wanted to share. Um, is that okay if I... Just speak. Um, um, sorry, I don't know your name, the lady with the white um, thing around your neck. Anna. Um, but I, I see you're a prophet. I could see the way you're speaking. But um, I felt like the Lord said to me, you're a prophetic person for specific people. All right? And if you move out of that, it won't feel so comfortable. But if you stay for specific people, he'll continue to use you to speak specifically into their lives all right um that was it oh metin it's just you see now i do know metin he was a young person with liz me and ruth as well which is amazing all right but metin what i just want to say to you god showed me as soon as you stood up i thought there's this big commanding voice and i thought whoa and i want to tell you that you know i think god's going to use your voice all right you've got a voice that's deep and it just cuts across things Well, I can pray for that. If, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, wonderful. Praise God. Um, just a couple of words of uh, knowledge, if I may. Um, I, I felt the Lord said to me there was somebody who had a neck ache and somebody else had a, um, an ankle problem and a, maybe a back. And there was a strange one of a sore throat, but I thought, well, I'll just throw that out there. Now, um, Olu, I, I want to say something to you, if I may. Um, I felt like this, the Lord saying, don't rush in. All right? Wait. 
Uh, God will give you what to say and when. And don't take this as a, in the wrong way, but stop trying to anticipate what God says. <laughs> Wait for him to say it. And the pace will be at the right um, way to tempo for you. That's the word I'm trying to say there. But um, God is so pleased with you, but he wants to get you in tempo with what's going on. And sometimes you try to jump in, I, I guess. Um, I, look, the Bible says we all prophesy in part. You've got to work out which part's God and which part's Martin. Now, if it's all me, then let it drop to the ground. But if it's God, you'll know. And he'll bring a word of scripture to affirm it. He'll uh, bring another person along who's, who brings the same particular message. God doesn't let it be a dodgy word out there in the, in the ether. It's got to be grounded in his word at some point, And he will bring that to you. Now, for you as a church, you know, you're in this transition um, before the next um, person comes along. But it, it's a new move of God. And please, I want to encourage you to use this opportunity to strengthen your faith for one another. There's no pastor. He's not going to do all the jobs so you've got to do it together. You've got to pick up the pieces. Run with it. What if your pastor, you know, something happened and he could, the new pastor couldn't come for a while? Will you survive? Of course you will, because you trust in the Lord. You don't trust in the pastor. If you trust in the pastor, you've got problems. All right? He's just a red-blooded man just like me and you. <laughs> All right? And, uh, you know, are you going to be a help and a strength to him when he comes? All right? Well, Get yourselves ready. Get yourselves ready in this transition. I do believe there's a new, new move of God and a deeper relationship. Um, I alluded to something earlier saying about having a head knowledge rather than a heart when you know, not knowing Jesus. But I feel like there's a fresh breath of his spirit for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I was holding back on that word until I suddenly remembered today is a Pentecost, you know. And that's the day, of course, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. And if you are um, someone who says, look, I, I don't move in the, in the gifts, I, don't, I haven't been filled and baptized with the Spirit, then reach out to the church today. Reach out to others around you. They'll be delighted to pray for you. I know they would. I'll be delighted to pray for you as well, of course. So I think I'd better shut up there. Let me just pray for you if I can. Is that all right? Yeah, I don't quite know how you... Let's stand. You've all been sat down listening to me for a little while. I love Jesus, don't you? Yes. Oh, that's good to hear, you know. Lord, we love what you're doing in our lives. So often we don't really understand it. And we'd love to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel or exactly the next mission you have for us in our lives. But let's put that to aside for a moment and recognize, Lord, that you've done everything. You died on the cross for us. You gave us Jesus. His death and resurrection paid that price. And now we are filled with your spirit and he is our guide. He is our comforter. He is the one that is leading us. And my prayer today, Father, if there's anyone here that's struggling with issues, they'll recognize today that you can provide. You will provide. Because all things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. And so Lord, as we reach out to you today, I pray that the vision for our, our family ahead, for this church, will be strong. The vision for our families will be strong. Lord, where there's healing that's needed today, you will come and meet that need. And Father, those words of knowledge that you gave me this morning, if they're 
for specific people. I pray, Lord, that we will see those people healed today in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm around afterwards if you want to come and I'd be delighted to pray with you. But um, although it's over to you.